Welcome to Build Big Ideas. This is Scott Snelling. And this is Jason Toth. We explore infrastructure. Okay. Hey, Scott. We're here on the 1st of October. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah. I thought we'd talk about today as our big idea is something really fundamental. Fundamental to how we plan, how we build infrastructure, and something that is so implicit to engineers and technical professionals and really anybody that's in any profession that uh, we almost don't think about it, and that's meetings. And we use meetings in so many different ways, whether it's collaboration or synchronizing or solving a problem or even getting to know each other. The big idea here is while this is a very fundamental building block, if you made an incremental improvement or if you could make something just a small percentage more effective, I guess along the sort of like the Kaizen approach, then that compounds and it makes a big impact. So it's something small at first, but as it compounds, it has a very large impact. So if we talked meetings this morning, I think we've all got pretty mixed feelings about them. And I think if you've got skin in the game, right? I mean, we're in a lot of meetings, right? I think we're all in a lot of meetings, especially in this particular period of time um, in our nation and COVID trying to make things happen. But if you got skin in the game or you got to move something forward, you got to get a decision, you can probably look forward to it because it's, it's a tool that you can really make some progress. You can bring people together. But if you're not and, and you just have to attend it or you don't really feel as though you're going to be an active participant or that your opinion is going to be valued um, or that it's going to be worthwhile, then you probably dread it. So there's, there's a, maybe a love-hate relationship with them. But I think we could all agree that meetings in a general sense are essential for us to make progress and collaborate. And I have a little bit of experience in the army. We've got a lot of meetings. Uh, it's early. <laughs> Heck, if you look at it like an army formation, if you will, Every day they start their day off with a formation, which is a meeting, and they bookend the end of the day with a meeting as well. So there's just there's a ton of meetings um, in, in both of our careers, and I'm sure with most that are joining us today. But uh, I think we would, if we just sort of define a meeting up front, that uh, we would agree that it's a process that produces a result or an outcome. And it's not just the process of meeting, because we're, we're just coming together just to meet. That's probably more of a social gathering or a party, but we're actually trying to accomplish something. So the meeting has a purpose. And maybe to set this, set the stage, I read a study recently. It was a study out of USC. And this was on corporate meeting, which is corporate meetings, which is just one subset. If you're thinking about infrastructure and meetings, it's not all about corporate. You're trying to bring in partners and stakeholders and the public and, and get a, a full feel if you're planning, uh, planning a project. But for this particular subset, it gave a, it sort of characterized the average meeting. So the average meeting, uh, I'll share a couple of statistics I wrote here. The average meeting takes place in a company conference room, happens in the morning, like 10, 11 o'clock, and lasts about an hour and a half. That's, that's, for me, that sounds like a long meeting. It's attended by roughly nine people. So you got a couple of managers in there, maybe about four or five coworkers, a couple of what are listed as subordinates and maybe an outsider. And they've only received about two hours of prior notification so they, haven't, they don't have much much uh, notice it has no written agenda and its purpose its purported purpose is completed only about 50 percent of the time a third of those that are in that meeting feel as though they have no influence on the discussion whatsoever and 63 um, percent of the meeting attendees feel that 
underlying issues outside of the scope of whatever was on the official agenda are the real subjects under discussion. I think that was pretty telling because there's, there's a lot of aspects where improvement can be made. I don't have to have, if you had any thoughts on those statistics. And this was a compilation of uh, a study that USC did. Yeah, I mean, it, <laughs> I think you're, you're getting to the, a lot of the problems with, with meetings. And I, I think I have a lot of thoughts on problems with meetings, but uh, you've done a lot more thinking on the topic. And I, don't, I think we can all agree that calling a meeting at any occasion is not always a good idea. Right. So I think, I think there's two approaches when you come to a meeting, right? Is you can improve the meeting and, and how we function, which is sort of what we're going to talk about today. But the other alternative is just don't have the meeting. I, I think both have merits. So I, I'm a firm believer that you don't have to have a meeting just to have a meeting. Um, I think you've got to have a clear purpose. And I think focusing on sort of that aspect. And so if you've got to have that meeting, you've got to have accomplished something. How do you best go about that? So I did a a bit of reading and uh, sort of a lit review as part of this after I formulated some of my thoughts from my experience, I thought I'd share that. And maybe really as an opening exercise, you mentioned you've, you've been in some meetings that weren't great. And so what were some of the things that you observed in those meetings that like, wow, this could really use some improvement? Well, I mean, like you said, the, 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 the a lot of the meetings just never, should have been held. And um, so I'm, I'm a big fan of, of Warren Buffett, which I think we've talked about before. And I, I was actually, I happened to be listening to um, uh, one of his shareholder meetings audio and, and somebody asked him um, basically what sort of value they added to the companies they bought. They buy a lot of companies. And he said the main thing that they add is, is they don't make them do a lot of meetings. They just let them do their work. And, and this is like from, you know, one, one of the richest men in the world, the, the, the most important thing he does to make his organization work well is, is no, no meetings. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's really interesting. I, I think it speaks to the uh, concept of don't be afraid to cancel a meeting or maybe if you've got a reoccurring meeting, just eliminate it. If it's not providing the value that is intended, what's uh so some of the good, let's go to the, some of the good meetings. What are just to highlight maybe some of in your experience, some of the positive aspects of like, if you had an awesome meeting, what, how would you characterize that meeting? Yeah. I mean, at this, at this stage of my career, I, I think I, there aren't that many meetings I look forward to. Um, I do remember earlier in my career for one of the, one of the engineering firms that I, that I worked at, um, I really look forward to the meetings and mo the meetings that they had there were normally, um, again, this is probably going to go totally against your recommendations. I, I'm, I'm not sure, but, but they were, they were more like brainstorming sessions where we had some um, really difficult um, technical problem that, that we needed to try to figure out how to solve. And we'd, we'd get a, you know, a, a bunch of the, you know, engineers in the room that had different angles and perspectives and, and knowledge. And then we'd try to talk through like, <laughs> what the heck are we going to do here and how are we going to solve it? And it was really fun. Um, and there wasn't necessarily an agenda other than um, we need to, we've got this problem. We don't know how to fix it. Let's, let's get a bunch of people in a room and 
just brainstorm and talk about how we're going to fix this. And then we'd normally come up with some pretty creative ideas and it, it was, it was honestly fun. So that, that's kind of a, a best meeting is when you're solving a tough problem that nobody could have solved on their own and it's, and it's fun, but that, that might be a high bar for your every meeting. <laughs> True. I mean, some meetings are, you sort of go in knowing it's not going to be fun, but I think what you've highlighted is a couple of key aspects, which I think we could formalize a little bit of a structure as we talk through this that uh, absolutely uh, jives with what I have uh, had in my experience. If you get, you know, about 20 plus years of leadership experience involved with meetings. And so I've sort of distilled down four imperatives of a successful meeting. And I like imperatives because it provides a very general structure to think through it and plan it and execute it, but not to be overly restrictive because there's a whole wide variety of different meetings with uh, even wider variety of purposes. And so, so I'm going to, I'm going to take what's your example. I'm going to weave that in here, but the first imperative is, is absolutely adequate per, uh, preparation. And yeah, I think if, if you prepare for a meeting, and that's not just the host, that's the participants as well, then the meeting has the highest chance of success. And I, I personally, as I've seen meetings, as I've participated in meetings, I think that we are chronically underprepared to participate in them. Um, and and it's, it's nobody's, no one person's fault. It's all of our collective faults. And I will talk a little bit about really how to, how to prevent that. Um, so I think there's a few key components of what I would consider adequate preparation. Um, what, one is that uh, a lot of this information needs to be published in advance so you can start to think through how, how you can contribute to, if there's a background or a read ahead that you can prepare. But if, the, if that's especially important if the topic is complex or you have a large a diverse group of attendees, or if there's very high expectations for what you're trying to achieve. Uh, so, so preparation, I, I've broken it down to five steps. So first imperative is adequate preparation. Uh, first step would be, you gotta have a purpose for the meeting. And I think your, your purpose, what you talked about, it was, is, a, is a great example. The purpose could be singular, concrete, tactical, very clear. We need to solve this problem. Let's bring a bunch of smart engineers with diverse perspectives into a room and work on solving that problem. And that, that could be a very clear purpose. Some other that are a little bit more uh, lofty or you know, softer purposes or squishy, if you will, uh, maybe on the strategic side, those are harder to define, and, but you still have to have a clear purpose. If you don't have that, I think that goes back to why you didn't have the meeting. So the purpose, all attendees have got to understand why we're having the meeting to go into it. Um, and I, I, don't, I think that's, that's 100% required. The second is the agenda. And the agenda is sort of the, the working operation of how you're going to get to that purpose. And again, here, the agenda doesn't have to be complicated. If you're trying to achieve a lot in that meeting and there's a multifaceted purpose or the purpose is complex, that agenda should probably break down uh, the specific task or topic that's going to be discussed, who's the lead for that and how much time's allotted. But if it's just, we're going to solve this problem, that agenda's in that case, pretty simple as well. Uh, I think the, the attendees, you have to have a listing of who's going to be there. So those that are coming into it, they know the group they're going to have. The, hopefully you've achieved some diversity of perspective amongst all those that are in there. Um, but you also have an idea of, all right, I can play off ideas from those that are to the left and the right of me. And those attendees need to know what their expectation is to contribute. And we'll, get, we'll talk a little bit about social loafing, but 
you've got to define for them, hey, this, this is where your participation is going to be important. And this is what we expect you to prepare either to provide or to be aware of and information uh, in advance of the meeting so you can participate and be part of the conversation. And so you've got your attendees listed there. Uh, so the uh, purpose of the meeting is first, agenda, attendees three, and I already bled into what the expectation is for participants. I had a meeting once that uh, was called in the wee hours, which is something they used to do in the Army. Um, we were called in, it was yeah, roughly 10 o'clock at night. It lasted six hours, and we walked into the meeting not knowing what the meeting was about or what we were expected to do. And it ended up being a very detailed meeting that if we had had just some advance notice and understanding of what we were going to we're going through these lines of individual soldiers that could or could not deploy. And, and we're sort of going name by name with what their condition that was preventing them or, or allowing them to deploy. And we didn't have that information with us. We would have been, that meeting would have lasted uh, significantly less time if we'd been able to know. Uh, this is the expectation when you come in as a participant, um, what you're supposed to provide. And so defining that up front will, will definitely help with uh, making a successful meeting. And then the fifth is the, is, is, a, is a little unique, and that's the desired outcome that you hope to get out of the meeting. And that could be as simple as the purpose. So in some cases, if you're trying to solve a particular problem, and that's the purpose of the meeting, that's the desired outcome. But there are some other meetings where you are your purpose is very general, but there are some very specific outcomes you're trying to achieve. And it might be by agenda item, or it might be in a, in a grand sense. And so, for example, if it's a meeting where you need a decision, you might call it, hey, the purpose of this is to get a decision. Um, or if the purpose of this is to work through a business plan and or work through a project management plan and we need decisions on these five items, then you might want to list that separately so that everybody's clear on, hey, this is why we're coming together. This is what we're hoping to achieve at the very end. And there's, you could state that. And in some cases, that outcome is clearly known and is fully transparent. In other cases, you're bringing together folks, um, and, and maybe it's there's a there's also a unwritten purpose. So maybe you're trying to enhance team unity. Maybe you're trying to uh, address an issue, but you don't want to call that out in the agenda. And so sometimes the the meeting organizer might have that listed out. So I guess it's sort of a five steps of what proper preparation would consist of, and that's that first imperative of being prepared. Um, when, when you talk about the preparation, at least the thing that, that pops into my mind as a sort of extreme and unique example is, is my understanding of what Amazon does. And I don't know how much, if you're familiar with that or not, but I, yeah. I think they have a no PowerPoint rule in that organization. And um, if you want to call the meeting, I, I believe the rule is you need to write a six-page document um, explaining explaining the issue, your thoughts on it and so forth. And then the first half of the meeting is everybody sits in the room and, and reads um, the written, this is a written document, full sentences, yeah. you know, full, full logical arguments for the, the issues, the background information, the things at hand. And then they, they, everybody sits in silence for the first half of the meeting, reading this um, very detailed prepared prose. And, and then they, um, and then they, discuss what they're going to do about it. Uh, I don't know if you have any comments on, on that. I, well, the first thing that jumps out at me is that, you know, the, I have, uh, I think PowerPoint's a mixed bag. I think it's a, it's a great tool for presentation, but if we're talking about facilitating, facilitating a conversation, um, which is in my opinion, what meetings should be primarily for, 
because it's you're using a, a lot of folks' time um, to focus on something. Uh, so I think a document could very well meet that. My, my first thought of that is, is why not provide that document in advance, do some individual thought as your preparation, and then cut the meeting in half and just have the conversation. I, you know, I, I think that uh, that would be a more useful use of everybody's time because everybody reads a different rate and maybe you want to do some research based off of what you've read in that that will help elicit more thought that you can, that you can contribute. But sort of along the, my philosophy, I'm not sure it makes sense to have a meeting just to provide information. You know, we can read and we can review to get information. What meetings are about are, you know, two-way, multi-way dialogue to discuss something. Now, there are times, you know, we're leading in us maybe like a briefing. So if you're briefing to inform and you've just got the information, you need everybody to get it out, you need folks to understand it, ask questions, you could still do that. Um, but, you know, just holding meetings just to inform others, I, I think that that's not the most efficient use of time, I'm thinking from an efficiency standpoint. Um, I think what it does, right, it does a couple things, right? There's this barrier to entry. Like, first of all, if you want to call a meeting, you need to take the time to write out Cheers six, well six yeah. thoughtful pages before yeah. you call the meeting. Um, and then I think the, I forgot what the second point was, but I guess, I guess that's the, that's the main one. Yeah. I, I, I like that aspect. I mean, I, like I said, I think if you're going to have a meeting, you should be well prepared for it. If you're organizing in particular, I mean, that, that, and that's sort of, I guess, if you get into the, the second imperative is someone's in charge. So you've got adequate preparation, but number two is somebody's got to be in charge. Whoever's going to be developing that meeting or you know, planning it, organizing it, facilitating it. And that doesn't have to be one person playing all roles. It just means that somebody says, we need this meeting. This is why we need it. And they've pulled together that preparation and brought the group together. And so if you think of like a project meeting where you have maybe the project manager says, we need to advance this project. We've got to work through these challenges or talk through these risks. And that person organizes the meeting and brings all the participants together. But maybe they're not the one taking notes. Maybe they're, you know, they're clearly not the one who should be dominating the conversation. They're just playing that facilitator role and then making sure that all the participants are involved. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about that. But it's very difficult for three people to organize a meeting. One person should have that lead with others that are participating um, in various roles. But uh, the third imperative would be, I talked I talk to agenda as preparation, you know, follow that agenda. And what that involves is redirecting tangents. So if you think back to that USC study about <laughs> such a high percentage of meetings are about things that the meeting wasn't even about, that's what was discussed, right? Um, so it's how, how do you redirect tangents? Well, I think this is a little bit more of an art. It takes some practice versus a science. You know, there's this idea of tabling or the parking lot where you take an idea and you don't say, no, we're not talking about it. this meeting. That, that would be cutting somebody off cold uh, and that's not gonna elicit others to bring about maybe potentially related and important issues in the future. But the key there is to sort of redirect the conversation to keep it focused, but at the same time, assuring whoever's there that brings up that idea that their, one, their idea is valued, that their issue is important or, or their opinion, their perspective, and that tangent can be addressed and it will be addressed at some point. Maybe it's a subsequent meeting, maybe it's at the end of the meeting as there's time, um, maybe it's on a one-on-one -on -one conversation with, with somebody else, but putting it somewhere and ensuring them that that will be addressed at some point. 
Um, but that's, that's one of the, the arts, if you will, of following the agenda. Um, and so, you know, at, really at the end of each agenda item, if let's say you have multiple agenda items, you should at least pause to agree on, all right, what's our next step? And this is that idea of every meeting is to progress, progress whatever action it is, to make something actionable. What is that next step? What, who's committed to accomplishing that next step? So an action officer, a responsible party, and then what is the, uh, the deadline for that? So those are the three most critical things. We'll talk follow-up here in a second, but to form an action plan for following a meeting, every agenda item should have, what is the next step, who's responsible for it, and what is the deadline? And that, that harnesses the power of a deadline, harnesses the power of accountability, and it also makes sure everybody's clear on, hey, what is, what is the next step that's gonna be accomplished? And if, if you've got to work through, hey, this is, how do we best negotiate when is the right, what's the right deadline? Do that there in the meeting versus after. And I, I'm a big fan of avoiding uh, a deadline of by the next meeting. You know, let's put, it, put a date on the calendar. And if you have to shift it in the future because conditions change, do so. But be thoughtful about what timing makes sense. And if, and if it's arbitrary, admit it. Say, hey, let's, let's just try and do it in three days. And, and then that, everybody knows that it's not tied to something else that could create a domino effect if it's not accomplished. Um, but then, then you set that expectation for whoever is responsible, get them to commit and agreed upon that. And, and if things change over time, they know to follow up with the group to say, we had agreed upon the 4th of October. 4th of October isn't going to work for these reasons. How do you feel about, can we get this done by the 6th? Is there any impact to what everybody else is trying to achieve or the overall project that we're trying to achieve? And so I think, I think that's important to get that commitment and the understanding that um, that, that deadline is important and it should be respected. Um, and, and if you've, if you've organized the meeting and that, that action is important, you should really follow up with them in time and say, Hey, how's everything going? Are we on schedule and so forth? Yeah. I mean, that's so, it's so basic, but it, it's so often violated, but it, it's clear that if, if a group of people all agree, Oh, this should be done, but nobody's assigned <laughs> to do it with the deadline, it's just not going to happen. Right. So it's, you need to do more than decide. You need to assign, assign leadership and, of that point and, and, uh, and, and by, by a certain time. Right. Right. And, and I, I guess this gets into the fourth imperative that every meeting should have as an exit, an action plan. So if we said, you know, adequate preparation is the first imperative, second imperative, someone's got to be in charge organizing. The third is follow that agenda. Um, the fourth is, you know, that, and that meeting with, confirmation for those responsible and, and that action plan moving forward. I mean, talk to by agenda item what that could consist of, but you know, it should be some documentation of it. And it doesn't have to be complicated. I'm not a big fan of a transcript of a meeting. I think that one, I mean, who really goes back and reads a transcript from a meeting? And second, unless it's perfect. So it's got to be recorded that that transcript have to be exact to capture the conversation. It can't be a summarized transcript. I had an instance once where I was in a governance meeting and actually the, the, the modus operandi for meeting notes was a summarized transcript. And every single time I reread the transcript, there was a ton of misinterpreted, misunderstood, uh, lost context. And I had to go back and essentially recreate all of my comments and provide that to the meeting note taker to better represent what, what the intent that I was trying to convey. And so I think it's much better that 
that those meeting notes are actually very succinct and short and focused on what's important to take away because people might actually refer back to that versus some lengthy document. And so what is, you know, succinct meeting notes would be what's the topics topic that's discussed? What is the key takeaway? Or if there's a decision that was made, you know, that would need to be documented. Um, and then those are the listing out what those are actions that need to be taken, those follow-up actions by who, when. All right, so that's capturing for each agenda item, who's responsible, what's the suspense, and, um, and what's the action they're gonna take. Um, I, I think that is a set of meeting notes that could be distributed amongst an entire team if there weren't participants that are there, but that would also be referenceable and almost serves as a, a short summary slash to-do list moving forward, very progress and forward-looking, um, should be clear and concise. If really, if it's that short, should get it out in the first 24 hours, because then, that let's say that timeliness is important and we have uh, something that's very succinct to get out. Suspense is army talk for deadline. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Suspense. Just translate. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I, so I think, you know, if whoever chairs that meeting or organizes it would be responsible to ensure, Hey, you know what, let's make sure we get these meeting notes out and maybe they're not the one that actually gets the notes out or maybe somebody else took them. But, uh, it's on them. That's their inherent responsibility to ensure that it gets out. Um, and, I, and then that's the same with the follow-up. I, I think that, you know, if you're a manager and you've got a group, um, you assume your team is self-starters and, and they probably are, you know, many of them might be, um, you know, very attuned, very disciplined with accomplishing their tasks. And, and you just assume, Hey, I give this, uh, the suspense and this action to somebody and they run with it. There's, there's no harm in following up with somebody. I mean, talented, committed people sometimes don't do what they say they will do because um, they've got a lot of priorities. They're balancing a lot. That there's a possibility of forgetting. So if it's important to you to accomplish an action, there's no harm in following up. And we shouldn't really be surprised that sometimes something can get dropped that way. I, th I think it'd be a problem if it's always dropped and it becomes a habit, if you will. But we are human after all. And it's like, I like to say that's not necessarily micromanaging. Um, I think when you get in micromanaging territory would be hey, if you're constantly following up in advance and almost to the point of nagging in advance, that might get to be a little bit much. Or if, uh, as you work with somebody, they are really disciplined. They seem to always meet their suspense and no issue. Um, if you don't adjust your technique and, and, and dial back how much follow-up is required with them, that person might start to feel that they're being micromanaged. And so I think there's a little bit of art to that as well. But um, so that's, that's the four imperatives that I, you know, I said, sort of came upon, but then did a little cross-referencing in, in the research uh, on, on what's available. And we'll put some of the links to some of the articles that I use just to sort of bounce those imperatives off and sort of summarize and distill. But I, the other thing I might want to share is just a couple of tips. So this, if you got those four imperatives, that's, that's a pretty good guide, I think, a successful and effective meeting. But uh, there's also a couple of tips that can help you get there. And these get into a little bit of group dynamics and decision theory. But uh, the first tip is, you know, if you can keep your meeting small, do so. And ideally trying to keep that number to seven or less. And there's some really inc uh, interesting evidence uh, it's sort of how fundamentally rooted in, in our brain's cognitive ability when we come to executive functions, that in a small group, you're better able to pick up body language, um, where it's in large groups, it's harder. 
Yeah, and that that reminds me of another Amazon rule, which is they they never have a team that's large enough. It's either to share a pizza or to share two pizzas. If if you if you need uh, more than one or two pizzas for your for your meeting or team, you you've got too big of a team, which is that's a cool rule. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's sort of interesting. How big a pizza? You could get some pretty big pan pizzas out there. <laughs> I mean, I think they're you're pointing out. I've never heard it said quite that way for meetings but yeah i mean there's real like cognitive and social limits to to group size and i know 150 is pointed malcolm gladwell's got a book tipping point he talks about right. 150 and this is something that's been discovered from you know um, aboriginal tribes to right. to wedding size to all the it comes up in so many things that if you have an organization go above 150 um, you, you basically need to totally change the way the organization works from, um, right. informal to completely formalized. And, and there's probably a smaller level for meetings, like you're saying at, at, at seven or whatever. It's, it's, uh, these are interesting ideas. There's the, yeah, I, I know what you're speaking to. The 150 came about as, is it's tied a little bit on the networking side with regard to social relationships, um, and you, you could bring that into professional relationships as well. When you're talking about something that's a little bit uh, more micro in the sense of a meeting, a specific event, that smaller number is talking directly to the executive functioning of the brain of the people in that immediate time frame, right? And so if you think of what the Army uses, the term span of control. And so the whole Army structure of units is based on this concept of span of control and that one person, let's say one commander, cannot have 20 units that they're responsible for. It's that well beyond their, their executive function, their span of control, that they've got to keep that number to that three to six, max seven. And, and you could see that. There's a, there's a classic example I like to give in just a basic everyday uh, activity in your executive function span of control, which is involving your short-term memory. And so you have, for example, you're going to go to the grocery store, and if you say, I just have to get some eggs and some milk, you don't typically write that down. You know, that's well within your <laughs> short-term memory and you feel like, I feel very confident I'll remember those two things. But if you then, as you're driving to the grocery store, decide, oh wait, I wanted to make some of that homemade pasta sauce in my spaghetti tonight. I'm gonna need some fresh tomatoes, some oregano, some basil, some, uh, you know, some, uh, uh, some other spices, <clears throat> some olive oil, this type, some this balsamic. All of a sudden, you're like, wait a second, I, I got to write this down. This is this is well beyond what I can immediately remember. And it's it's a really simple example, but just think about a complex project and or an operation where you're trying to achieve, and there's a lot of moving pieces. You can quickly see how your span of control will be exceeded. And so, if you use a meeting as a classic, just small example of that, that's where this keeping that group small if you can. Now, you don't want to be so exclusive that you're not including those key individuals, but it's as simple as body language. If you've got 20 folks in a meeting and you really have a hard time keeping track of some of those subtle clues that you're seeing in body language or, or verbal tone, I mean, because a ton of our communication in, in, uh, is in body language and tone. Um, but it also, you want to make sure everybody in that meeting can contribute. And a meeting with 20 folks in it is going to be very hard to get everybody to contribute and keep it in a reasonable time frame. And so, if there's also this concept that I introduced earlier called social loafing. And if, if you know you can go to a meeting and maybe not have to contribute, you are less likely to prepare for that meeting, less likely to be engaged and bring your full value to that meeting. 
And that social loafing tends to increase as your group size increases. So you're much less likely to loaf if it's you and four others than if it's you and 19 others. Um, it's that very old adage of when many hands are available, people work less hard than they ought to, right? Um, and so this, this is sort of rooted in social psychology. Um, and so when you think about brainstorming, going back to your example of bringing a group of engineers into a room, that if, uh, I think that if you could get a small group, you get a lot of great, potentially a lot of great participation versus a large group where there'll be a couple of folks that, you know, they're not, they're not really contributing that much. Um, so it's not to say you can't have larger meetings. It's just that, in my opinion, those should be few and far between. They should be really carefully planned and masterfully facilitated and acknowledging the challenges there. Well, and I, I think what you're getting into and what I'd uh, be interested to hear your thoughts on is there's um, a certain number of meetings where the, the um, there's malincentives, I guess, at place where the, the meeting is being called or participated in for reasons that aren't necessarily to do with the, the job at, at hand. And I, one of those is kind of the social loafing again. I think there's a Warren Buffett quote along the lines of um, meetings are the only practical alternative to work. So like if you got to be at work eight hours a day and you don't really want to, aren't that inspired by doing your work and it, it, you can call a meeting and just kind of like, you know, get a break, but that's a very expensive um, right. thing to do. And I think I've also seen um, uh, other organizations where, um, if, if the engineers are very, um, overscheduled where they can't do, if they have more work than they can do, then, um, the managers have an incentive to call a lot of meetings to try to trap their engineers in meetings. So at least they're thinking about their job and not the, the other manager's job. So there can be like a competitive uh, escalation type incentive for calling meetings and, I'm sure there's many other mal incentives that, I mean, cause all these, I think we can agree that uh, many organizations have many more and longer uh, meetings with more people than, than would be optimal. And there, there's surely reasons for that. And I think a lot of those reasons are probably related to mal incentives. I don't know if you have any ideas on other mal incentives for uh, calling meetings that, that go on in this world. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm an optimist. So my, <laughs> My thought is that you would call a meeting for, for more of a obvious, direct, positive reason. So even if it's not obvious, then it's still a positive, positive purpose. But you're absolutely right. I mean, there are definitely mal incentives. And, and I, I think that some honest reflection and just a little bit of taking maybe some of what we talk about here, if, for those that are joining us and reflecting on, on meetings that you're in or that you run and say, wow, there's, if I just change this or tweak that, we can really take this meeting um, and make it way more effective or eliminate these couple of meetings because you speak to as a technical professional and really I think for any professional there's you have to strike a balance between individual work and collaborative work and for meetings are for collaborative work but you're best in that collaborative work if you've had some time to do some individual work whether it's reflection or preparation for the meeting or working through the task that you're contributing to that group and so you're trying to find the right balance there and and it's unbalanced if you're in meetings all the time, but you could also be working out on a limb and what way off target if you don't are brought into the fold through a meeting as well. So you've got to find that right balance based on the project um, and the team that you have. 
And like I said, it, be very careful with those male incentives if that's sort of one's intent. Yeah, and when you when you're talking about that balance, there's um, there's an essay by Paul Graham that it, it made a a very big influence on me, kind of mid career, and it's called uh, Maker's Schedule, Manager's Schedule, or something like that. It's by Paul Graham. It, it's also in a book he wrote, but it's just free online on his blog. We can we can put a link in the show notes. But it it's all about basically there's two types of professionals in this world. There's, there's managers and there's makers and they have totally different schedules and ways of working. Um, managers tend to segment their day up into hour long blocks and they're dealing, you know, and I think your experience is probably mostly in the, the manager realm and mine's probably mostly or closer to the, to the maker realm. And the, so the, so that a manager can add an, a meeting to their day. Um, you know, if there's just, oh, they've, they've got, you know, a space from 11 to 12 where they don't have a meeting booked. Oh, let's uh, book a meeting in there. And, and that's no problem. Whereas um, for a maker where it's somebody who's producing work and likely he's written it directed at computer programs, programmers, but I think it's similar for, for engineers that are uh, deep in technical work where, to, to really the, the hardest, most valuable work, you really need to get in that flow state yeah. and um, any interruption. And that might take you quite a bit of time to just get deep into the work. And once you're deep into that flow state, I mean, you don't know what time it is. You don't know, you know, it, and, and if you're just having to manage like, oh, I've got this meeting at 11 o'clock, that might mean you're not going to get any work done all morning. And then maybe you work best in the morning. By the time it's afternoon, you're tired and it, you can one one hour long meeting can really prevent a maker from from um, producing a whole day's worth of top quality work. And so um, he talks about that, about acknowledging that, and trying to find ways to work around that. And um, his thing is is the way he does it um, is he tries to. And, th- and then there's a lot of mid career professionals that are really need to be doing both both hats where they've they're doing technical work themselves while managing a, a technical team and uh and, and one way if you're in that position is is to kind of have office hours or to to try to schedule your meetings in a block where they're lumped together and and obviously not everybody has that power to control the times that the meetings are in but it, i think it is an important thing for everybody that's in a technical organization to to, to realize the, the truth of those sort of um, uh, things. Does, it, does that make sense to you? Do you have any oh, thoughts sure. on that? No, it's, it's a great point. And, and I think it should, anybody that's, uh, when they're planning their schedule, should cause them pause and to think about, okay, how am I impacting? And you, you, what you're really starting to get into is this idea of time management, which I, I actually prefer energy management, because when, when you're best thinking, when you need to have creative thought, when you need to get in that flow state to actually accomplish some technical work, when you best do that, and how much time do you need that to do that? And it, it's not something where you can do it for 10 minutes here and there or half an hour there, that you need blocks of time. And so trying to budget that time throughout your day so that you know when you have your energy, when you have the blocks. And, and so thinking through from a scheduling perspective, how to best do that with the mix of meetings um, so I, I absolutely agree with that. I, I function that way. And so there's a lot of different techniques and maybe it's a more of a time management, energy management for technical professionals conversation that could be helpful in the future. But uh, 
Yes, yeah, I think it's a great point. I, I haven't read that article, but I have to look it up. Maybe we can provide a link to that in the show notes. Um, couple, couple last tips, though, I want to make sure I share. The yeah, next one might be a little controversial, but I, I would, I would advise ban ban devices. And so I, I'll say ban devices when able, but ideally ban devices. So I, I think at the very minimum, they should be kept off the table. There is a change in mindset when you put a phone on the table. All right. Or when somebody starts going onto their smart device on a table and I, and so I, they, they distract us. I mean, if, if you don't do that, you are inadvertently inviting other people to the meeting as participants. They're not going to be active participants. They're just, they're in the meeting now. Right. Uh, and maybe it's your whole social network <laughs> invited to the meeting as well, but, uh, they distract us. It's a reality. But when we want to, if you had to get in that flow state, you were probably setting your device elsewhere or at least silencing it or you're turning it just to music mode. Um, but so I, I would say for a meeting, that would be also what you should do. And there's some really interesting neuroscience research that shows how you know, multitasking is really a fallacy. It's sort of a mythical <laughs> activity for any but the simplest activities like walking and talking or walking and chewing gum. But if we're doing two cognitive things, really just you can't do it. Brain can't do it. We think we can. And it's, yeah, go ahead. But you had something. Scott. Well, that just gets to the switching costs again. I mean, there's a switching right. cost to the picking up your phone in the middle of the meeting, just like there's a switching cost to going to a meeting rather than doing your technical work. Right. And, and what was really interesting, some of this, as I mentioned, this neuroscience research that I was reading, it's, you know, ironically, those that are picking up their devices during meetings, the most were also the worst multitaskers. So you think that if you did an activity more, <laughs> you would actually be better versed in it, but that was not the case. So the research actually found that the more people, more time is spent, people spend using multiple forms of media simultaneously, the least likely they were to they were able to perform on like a whatever standardized multitasking type of ability test or something like that. So, um, so I, I, now again, I'm not going to blame that person necessarily. They're trying to make the most use of their time and they're thinking, hey, I don't want my time wasted. And if this meeting isn't, if I'm not bringing value to this meeting, I'm not an active participant in it or this meeting, you know, isn't, it's not that important that I be here. Then they'll say, I'm going to use my time wisely and I'm going to maybe accomplish some work on my phone or otherwise. Um, but so I think in part of that is maybe a poorly designed meeting. So if you're sitting in a multi-hour meeting, you're not engaged, it's a large group, you're that much more likely to social loaf and, and to attempt to multitask. So you can take that temptation away and then design the meeting properly, in my opinion, so that you don't have, you know, in this balanced sense, a full day of long meetings in front of you. And you know that, well, hey, this meeting's only half an hour. I'm expected to participate. I've got this to bring to the group. And then here in a half an hour, I can check on, what it is that I needed to check on or do this other task. And so you're less likely to need to pick up the device if that's the case, especially if it's not there on the table. Um, so the, the third one would be uh, keep them, and this is getting to that, what uh, building off of the point I just made, which is keep the meeting short. And I would say as short as possible, I would say 30 minutes is ideal. You, if you think about your, atten your own attention span in the meeting, you, if you got that first 10 minutes, you're pretty solid. And maybe if you're running the meeting, you're, you're obviously more engaged or you know you've got agenda item number two, but 30 minutes is ideal. I'd say 60 minutes is the max. I can't tell you how many meetings I've sat in that are multi-hour um, and, and despite all my best attempts, I'm eyes glazed and having a heck of a time trying to focus after an hour. And 
So I think now you could make a meeting too short because if you're trying to accomplish something, uh, an alternative would be to, to parse out and scope what you're trying to accomplish to that time frame. Um, if you have the meetings flowing and you're thinking to yourself, well, this is really going well, I don't want to break up the rhythm with this group of and this collaboration that's happening, continue it on. Maybe take a short break and say, hey, let, let's take a break, but then let's, let's bring it back because I think we're making good progress on this. Um, but I, I think that uh, you can utilize the power of a focused deadline by saying this will be a 30-minute meeting and sticking to that. If you need to do multiple meetings to accomplish that, but at the very least, you know, schedule a break. Um, you can always schedule a follow-up meeting. If you say, well, we've made a lot of progress in this meeting. Next, let's have the next one in a week, but when this thing is accomplished and there's no harm in that, but I, I'm not a fan of long meetings. I don't know if you, <laughs> well, I, I, I remember <laughs> you telling me about, uh, you were in, in an army setting. We're organizing, oh, yeah. uh, standing Stand meetings. meetings that I yeah. think were five minutes long or something like that. And, Probably in most professional settings, that's not going to um, fly. But I, I wonder if you have any thoughts on just unconventional approaches to yeah, I'll, I'll to share meetings, that story. Whether it's walking or right. or you know, there's that yeah. Go ahead. There's uh, yeah, that's that you just highlighted. I I've heard of jogging meetings, biking meetings, walking meetings where you're out accomplishing two tasks, if you will, but you've got a group of three and they're out for a walk on a nice day instead of sitting in a room. Um, that clearly that works. I, the example you hinted at, I was in an organization, we had an early morning meeting at 6 a.m. And it was, uh, it would last, it was, it was scheduled for 30 minutes. It seemed to always last longer than that. And I, within a couple of days, I, I felt like it wasn't a high value meeting and that we were just really filling the time and, and sort of uh, allowing the meeting to drag on. And so to change that, I changed the time of the meeting to what I thought to be a better time and I made it a 15 minute stand-up meeting. And so clarified the present, the, the purpose of it a little bit and what the expectation was and the time frame that each had to speak. And I felt as though in that 15 minutes we would accomplish everything that took 30 to 60 minutes prior. And by everybody standing up, nobody really wanted to, st to stand there for much longer, right? It was, it, it was a little bit of a pain to take notes, but most of the topics we were talking about didn't require us to take notes. It was more of a synchronization type of meeting. Um, so yeah, so it was, it was a great way to shorten the meeting. I thought it was quite effective. Uh, I did it for actually a couple of years off of that. Um, so there's, there's a lot of ways, you know, there's a lot of creative freedom in, in scheduling ways to sort of bring about what you're trying to achieve. But I think the general tip is to try and keep the meeting as short as possible. Don't, don't feel, and that the classic in a calendar is, oh, they're at the, you know, 30 minute increments or so, but there's nothing wrong with scheduling a 25 minute meeting or, you know, a 15 minute meeting, um, if you think that's what's going to accomplish. Now you can make it so short that not everybody gets in a chance to participate. And so that, that would be one, which be careful. You don't want to make it too short, but, um, cause that gets to sort of the fourth tip is you really want to make sure everybody participates. It's, uh, and I think I would, I believe in, it's okay to cold call those who haven't really contributed and in, in the nice way, not, not to say, why haven't you contributed? You just, you want, everybody to have an opportunity to speak and some that are more along the lines of a bit more reserved or the silent participants, they often have a lot to add. And sometimes they're the most insightful because they are great listeners and they're standing back and they're listening, but they might not volunteer information or their perspective or a solution. Feel free to reach out to them. What are your thoughts on this topic? Or have you put any thought into a solution for this? Or how would you approach this? I mean, just really invite them to speak and participate as part of the group. And as you do that over time, 
the expectation will, will grow that everybody comes in, their, their, their opinion is valued and they're expected to participate. Well, what do you think about, I guess, the habit or the routine of kind of going around and at, at the end, calling for alibis or at the end of the meeting, asking every single person on the attendee list, do you have anything to add? I've, I've always thought that was a bit excessive, but I know this is common practice in some organizations. Do you have any thoughts on that practice? My, my the challenge with that is when you go through at the end, you often have very little or no time left. And so my, my experience has led to do that as the meeting, Br bring about a discussion topic. And then that's the meeting is to go around and gather everybody's thoughts on it such that they have plenty of time to provide what their perspective is. And then those, there might be some conversation that builds off of that. And that that's how ideas are built off of throughout such that sure at the end you can wrap up, but not what, what, great contribution can I make if I've got 90 seconds left and I know there's three or four others that are after me. So you're not really setting the situation up to do that. I, I think it's, that is an attempt to bring others and to allow them to have a voice in the meeting, but it doesn't, it doesn't allow for enough time for them to be heard. And then it's, it's an attempt. I think that it's uh, a bit more notional than actual. Um, and it's, I don't think it's necessarily intended that way. It's just that's the reality of the physics of this is how much time we have and, and so forth. So um, that, that would be my take on that. Um, and I, maybe that even gets to sort of my fifth tip, is, which is try not to hold meetings just to update people. And so if, if we go to that point where the point of the meeting is for to get perspectives and thoughts and to have a collaboration or a problem-solving session, is make that the body of the meeting. Because if you provide an update for 25 minutes of the meeting and there's five minutes for Q and a or a discussion that doesn't really set the structure for collaboration and for others to really to, to collaborate the meeting. And maybe the purpose would be to update, but I'll go back to early in our conversation is why not just provide that in a written form in advance. And then we can all read that. That's that individual work. It might take me five minutes to read through something. I developed two questions and I either send those direct through, we do a group chat, or we have a meeting that's short and we, ha we discuss those questions that we all have, or if it's seeking clarification, things of those nature. Yeah, I think that's a great, a great point and sure, surely true to, you know, if, there, if there's an update, shouldn't be a meeting, but it, it often is, which I guess raises my question of um, if you have any thoughts where if, if you're at an organization or somebody's uh, uh, one of our listeners is at an organization that has a lot of, has a culture of doing a lot of these, what you'd call uh, bad meeting practices, whether it's too many or too long or doing, you know, all these sorts of things that are commonly uh, done in non-optimal ways. Um, what, what, what would you recommend as an approach to try to try to um, change those things for the better? It depends on the role, right? If if you are in charge of any meetings at all, or if, or if you're responsible or you have the opportunity to be responsible for, lest I say volunteer, I, I would say take that work to improve the meeting you you lead or you organize 
and maybe incorporate some of what we talked about with the four imperatives or maybe incorporate some of these tips and work to improve that meeting and demonstrate through action, hey, here, here's an alternative. I, I would believe that if that meeting, if that's successful and you've got a really effective, people walk out of the meeting like, hey, that was a really well-run meeting. I, I felt like, one, I can't believe it was that short. We got this done. That word will carry. So it, it doesn't, you can influence through action that way. Um, and, and then other folks be like, well, what did you, what did you do? Or what, what was, how was that different from what we normally do? And then, then you're, that's this idea of, of inviting an opportunity. So it's just like if you're talking with someone and, and you want to give them feedback, don't just give them feedback because you want them to invite you to bring feedback. Yes. Yeah. So if you have somebody who's in a leadership position in an organization and they're hearing about this, like, oh, what did you do? Now you have an, an open invitation for you to explain, hey, this is, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about this option? Or what, do we really need this meeting? Why don't we combine these two? Why don't we define the purpose of this? What if we try and push agendas out a day earlier? I mean, just, just some recommendations that maybe start with small steps, but allows you to, that invitation um, to do that. That would be my recommendation. And this is assuming that you're really in any role. If you're the person that's responsible for the organization, it's much easier. It's like, all right, well, let's, let's go back and sort of reevaluate how we do meetings. That, that would be an opening for sort of two different roles. Well, that was a great response and it's kind of obvious, um, but you framed it well. So you can just, for the meetings you're, you're organizing that you're responsible for, you can start uh, implementing best practices. And then for, if you're getting invited to a lot of meetings that you think aren't a valuable use of your time, you would try to get that meeting organizer to ask for your input on, um, you, you might not want to just, you know, go in and tell them, Hey, you're doing this all wrong. You know, if, <laughs> if you can get them to invite you to provide your comments, they, they might be willing to listen to make some adjustments in the way they're hosting their meetings. Yeah. And maybe sort of as a, as a finishing thought, what, one thing we haven't addressed specifically, which is, especially pertinent right now is this, uh, the virtual meeting and uh, just sort of a lead in of thoughts on that. You know, first of all, a virtual meeting is just really any meeting that has one virtual participant. And so in the modern era, practically every meeting we have, you have at least one virtual participant. And so immediately um, I think that the trend is that if you've got a majority of live participants and this was you know we have fewer live meetings and smaller meetings now with the pandemic but if, if you have uh, six people in a meeting and five of them are live and one are virtual that that virtual participant's gonna have a hard time that, that's sort of the trend because that may a meeting may not be viewed as a virtual meeting I think that 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 is improving just inherently in how we're operating um, in a decentralized manner and, and virtually now but so that's the first thing is to say, okay, I have a virtual participant, so I have a virtual meeting. And to work to bring that person in equally like you do have those people in face-to-face. But as far as fundamentals, I think the fundamentals are the same. It's what we've what we sort of just discussed as far as those four imperatives and some of the other tips. What is, what's different with the virtual meeting is that there are um, unique and enhanced risks of virtual meetings. So it's just magnified that much more. So if we think about social loafing, there's an increased risk of that because if it, especially if it's just audio, um, there's an increased risk of distractions because likely the environment you're in has more distractions. There's a uh, tendency to multitask in meetings that you are virtually attending because you're able to do it and, and not potentially offend others in an obvious way. There's a difficulty in reading those nonverbal 
uh, cues and receiving that real-time feedback that can help you bring a group together and really play off everybody where they're at. Video helps with that, but if it's audio, it's particularly difficult. So you, you're really limited as an organizer and a facilitator in, in just the actual content of what is being provided. Um, so that's sort of a, a little bit of a preview. There's, there's some methods to, to, to an approach to virtual meetings, maybe for a future conversation, we can work that in. But uh, so virtual meetings, I think fundamentals are the same. You just, you have to be more aware of the risks and the challenges because uh, they are just, they're magnified to a different degree. Right. Yeah, it's it fun. I, I've seen passion about meetings. I think that there's a great deal of improvement to be made and that just in making a little bit of improvement there could be tremendous for how we function as organizations, as technical professionals, how we accomplish infrastructure. You know, there are public meetings out there and those are a unique format with larger group, but a lot of these same principles are the same. Well, I mean, infrastructure projects tend to be large and multidisciplinary. So there's, there's no way around meetings in, in that world. So it's an important topic. Yeah, you want to have all of those stakeholders and partners engaged. And the meeting is, is the tool to do so. And so it's, it's critical. But uh, now that you have the tool, a, a good way to organize and structure it so that it can be successful. Great. Great. It's good talking well, to you this morning, Scott. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Thank you for joining us for the Build Big Ideas podcast. For show notes, please see buildbigideas.com. To ask us questions or suggest a podcast guest or topic, you can contact us on Twitter, LinkedIn, or by email. Contact info on the website. Please consider signing up for our mailing list to receive a short monthly email with links to the best of what we are reading and writing. Please rate the Build Big Ideas podcast on Apple iTunes to help us find new interested listeners. If you enjoy Build Big Ideas, please tell a friend or two. This show is for entertainment purposes only. Please do not consider anything discussed to be professional, engineering, or investment advice. Views discussed here are personal and not representative of employers or any other organizations that the hosts or guests are associated with.